0: So many memories have come flooding I back. I put
1: this song on repeat, just crying my eyes it out. It
0: made
2: me feel so bloody alive.
1: This
3: song really nails the feeling of nostalgia for a place. And we all just stop talking and just stare at the radio. Like, What
2: is that? It's part of the noble genre of songs by women about masturbation. I love it. I love, I love that love song it. so much.
4: Out of the Box. Meet people through their music, With Ash Berdebez on FBI.
2: Big thanks to Alex Pye for taking care of your mornings, which he does so well every Wednesday and every Thursday. And now it's time for Out of the Box. And on the show today, I've got playwright, author, director, actor and unofficial mascot of the Cronulla Sharks, Brendan Cowell. (laughs) G'day. (laughs) It's good to have you in here. So, Brendan, you wrote a play called Reuben Guthrie after your experience of a year without alcohol. Right. And based on the roaring success of that play, Reuben Guthrie's been turned into a film, which is in cinemas today.
4: It's in cinemas today, July 16th. And I kept saying July 16th, and it's now July 16th, which is awesome. So you can go and see it. Uh, It's on all day and all night, all over town. So, um, yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful movie weather.
2: It is, isn't it? Get in the movies. Good for it. That's yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you miss the, the 2 o'clock version at the Dendy in Newtown, there's a <laughs> 2.15 one. 2.15. So
4: people are keen. Because so often happens that you miss the 2. And yeah. then there's a 2.15. So uh, get the hell in there. I've also, if you check the website, au, we're doing a couple of Q&A screenings tonight in Bondi Junction and Cronulla and then tomorrow night, uh, Dendy Newtown, Monday at Opera Keys.
2: All right. Well, it seems like everyone's pretty keen to see it, and I certainly am. I remember in uh, in my HSC year, I reviewed Ruben Guthrie. Did I'm pretty, you? I'm pretty sure I gave it five out of five.
4: I got five out of – you sure it wasn't out of ten? It was definitely out of five? <laughs> it was definitely I got out of five. I out of five.
2: I know, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay, it was I'm a gonna glowing stay. review. I'm going to stay
4: for the full hour now. <laughs> this is great.
2: Awesome. Well, that is good news. So I can ask you all of the questions, and we can play all of your songs. You know
4: what? You can ask me anything.
2: Awesome. So, I guess I might start asking you about last night. There was an, there was an opening gala, which is kind of, I guess, when it feels a little bit real. Yeah. And when you finally see it's a it's a cinematic release impending. And how was it?
4: It. It. I was great. I mean, it was. Um. It, it, it's just been intense the last couple of weeks publicising the film, but it's been an incredible response. Um. From the media, and from the public, uh, to the film i'm kind of cynical person in that you know i i've been an actor and a writer and a you know for for a long time and i often you know am, i wonder if anything's going to happen until it really happens you know yeah and um i always said to the producers you know we're not getting excited until we're in cinema <laughs> you're because,
2: banned from excitement
4: yeah we you're banned from excitement and even when we thought we had the money i'm like we're not don't get excited till we're on set and we're when we're on set, don't get excited till we have a cut and don't get excited till people are actually (laughs) going to put in the movies and don't get excited till we can turn up to the cinema and go, wow, it's really on at the movies. And and that was last night. So we all kind of got together and and held each other and and we went, God, we did it, you know. And a year ago, um, 18 months ago was when we um, kind of, uh, because the film fell over a few times, had many other machinations. It was a different script. And then I met the wonderful uh, Kath Shelper about 18 months ago and my best mate Jonathan Duncan came on he works in kind of branding and we got together and went mate let's make this low budget film about alcohol, um, let's make this comedy <laughs> about getting smashed and um, and we just set a date uh, to shoot it it was two days after my birthday August the 18th we started shooting and we just went we're going to shoot this film with whatever money we get together whatever, and then Great cast started coming on board, and then a few kind of sponsors, and then Madman, and then Screen New South Wales, and just this kind of energy started to build. And, and then Sarah Blasco said, Of course, I'll do the music, and Jack Thompson, Patrick Brammel, and it just started to. And then, you know, George Pat said, Why don't you shoot our officers? And, you know, and it just started. And that's, that's when it became serendipitous. You start to think, Oh, there's a reason why this movie's being made, because it's all kind of feeling quite nice.
2: So I guess with those earlier machinations of Reuben Guthrie falling over, did it have anything to do with the script because you're turning a play into a film? Is it kind of, do you have to tear apart a play script to find a film script in there?
4: Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's a good question because at the time I was furious and I I felt very misunderstood and very betrayed. Um, And now I'm really grateful to the rejections because I feel like in that serendipitous way that I'm glad I made the film now, I'm glad I made it with Patrick Bramwell. I'm glad I made it with this screenplay. And I think, I think what actually happened is that the script suffered a little too much from me trying to make it a movie. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas the play always worked. You know, I've seen the play all over the world. I've seen amateur productions. I've seen productions with horrible acting and it still kind of worked. And I thought there's a trick to it. And that's
2: the mark of a good play, right? It's a mark
4: (laughs) of a good play. You you can sit on a chair and read this play out and it'll work. It Mm. just works. And that's why I kind of wanted to turn it into a film because I was like you know when I saw people's reactions in foyers I thought this, this thing needs a bigger audience it could be a great movie because it has Sydney as a backdrop um, nicely juxtaposing the ugly behaviour with this beautiful landscape and I thought that's cinematic and I reckon people will dig it and, and I think it starts a good conversation
2: What are some of the locations around Sydney that you are shooting in for the film that you know Sydney siders may or may not recognize
4: yeah well it's interesting because you know you think yeah, we haven't made many films about sydney and i always wanted to make the, the a sydney film um that shows the kind of the beautiful city but that the fact that it's also a little bit of a temptress it also has teeth you know <laughs> and if you believe in the sydneyness of yourself or you know the aspirational side of it the shallowness of sydney it, it can bite you and um did
2: Sydney despite you, I should ask?
4: Oh, a little bit, yeah, yeah, and uh, it did last night. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I think um, what I didn't want to show Darling Harbour and the Harbour Bridge, you know. I wanted to show Sydney, and she, Sydney's is so different every 10 kilometres, and it's really, you know, I live in the inner west, I live in Newtown, I love it over there, I love the sunsets and the dogs and the people, and... and um, and we also so we shot a bit around the cook's river where he does all his kayaking he lived in a house in chiswick i kind of wanted him to live in hunters hill like i imagine him was a private school boy he went to joeys and so we shot around manly and the spit and colleroy and and just a little bit different and then marrickville and tempe and so we didn't go for those kind of just in the city by the harbor kind of tourist destinations i tried to you know bring the audience to to some places that are still beautiful have some authenticity l- but have some more authenticity and are a little less obvious yeah. um and show that off
2: so i guess you take a lot of the inspiration from your year on you know quitting drinking right yes this is probably yeah. quite well known and you're probably sick of talking about it but you're no, gonna have no, to humor no, me for a moment
4: absolutely <laughs> not it's uh it's on it's on brief
2: so why did you want to stop? Was there, a, was there a day that you woke up and you were like, nope, not for a while. I'm not going to do that again.
4: Yeah, I mean, it, it was actually at a very good time in my life. Like I had a lovely girlfriend. I had my own TV show, Love My Way. I bought a house. Um, so things were good, um, which is interesting. It wasn't that, you know, kind of cliched country and western song where, you, you know, you lose your woman, lose your truck, lose your job and turn to the bottle. Like it was the opposite. Things were good for me. Um, so that's what was fascinating and that's kind of why I made Ruben Guthrie because everything that happened in my life that year um, I've just kind of embellished, you know, people think it's a biography but it's based on real things but I pushed it for comic and dramatic effect and and uh, I had the year off, I jumped out of a tree, I humiliated myself in public, family, friends, at work people, everything on a kind of three day adventure. Um, that I kind of, you know, discuss in the film in a funny way. but um, And then took the year off and found that my life changed in such a dramatic, hilarious and terrifying way. Uh, everything was different that I thought there's got to be something in this um, that's worth talking about in a play because um, it was so funny and so illuminating.
2: So a lot of uh, Reuben Guthrie kind of doesn't necessarily deal with the way that he's affected by getting off the drink, but it's a lot of, you know, his relationships being affected and how they kind of change. Well, yeah, so I mean, how did yours change?
4: Uh, the nature of change is that the person who changes usually knows why and they think it's really kind of normal. You know, if they're changing sexuality or changing gender or changing religions or, you know, quitting their job and and, and moving to the forest, they usually know why, you know, whereas, and it's everybody else that goes, you can't do that because that disturbs not only my worldview but (laughs) my ability to be who I am. So, please stay the same person. And drinking is one of the ones that really holds a mirror up to people, especially in Australia. As soon as you say, I'm not drinking, people go, Well, I, I only drink twice a week and, and just for, I'm hardly drinking at the moment. I mean, I, and you're like, I didn't ask you, you know. And <laughs> so people, they get defensive. People get defensive yeah. straight away. And also, I found that people, there are a lot of people, maybe it's my choice of friends that's wrong, but people were like, You can't not drink. Have one, just have one. And I thought, isn't this interesting? Did you, you know? get
2: that kind of, oh, you've changed or, oh, you're no fun anymore? Did you get that I when you were not drinking? I had people
4: not wanting to hang out with me at all. <laughs> and I'd say to a mate, hey, what are, we, what are you doing Saturday? Let's do the Bondi to Bronte walk and then we'll go for a smoothie. And my mate would be like smoothie you want to go for a walk let me know when you're back on the cans mate and that was the end of that but then this whole other world opens up where your body feels good you call your grandmother at 7am on a sunday you clean out your attic you're an awesome person you're lovely and present you read 15 classic novels in a year you get your joy from you know moving with nature um you're it's a whole other thing the joy doesn't come from the the place you used to get your joy from. It comes in a totally different way. And it's um, it's incredible, actually.
2: Well, that's a really good ad for not
4: drinking. It is. <laughs> but then you just get a little bored. You know, after a while, you feel like you've done your homework. And, you know, what am I going to do before bed? And that's kind of why I started again, you know, after the year. Not because I missed it, because I was like, I think I'm missing out on something. It but is
2: the Australian pastime, I that's guess. That's right. Well, I guess we'll take a, a song now from the Drones. How to see through fog, and why did you want to bring on this song?
4: Oh, look, it, it, there's no better band to drink beer to in Australia uh, than the drones. <laughs> I think they're the greatest Australian band. I've been smashed at many of their gigs and thrown my head around and bounced off the walls and <laughs> they're the loudest band in the world. They're yeah. an awesome bunch of dudes and um, and I also used this song in the first telemovie that I directed, um, The Outlaw Michael Howe, but um, I just think they're legends.
5: And a marble moon
1: sips gin of From treetops down candle-wired While rain towels drown the morning song Magpie with a model
5: tongue
1: And I don't ever treat you well when you're nothing but a
0: church bell And I do ever think you're good. When you're walking like you're made of wood
1: It's another Friday afternoon You shuck the shell, peel the cocoon but it ain't Friday on the moon Like it ain't Kenya at the zoo And they all-
0: Like your chain
2: The Drones, How to See Through Fog, brought in by my guest today, Brendan Cal. Now, we were just talking about Ruben Guthrie, which is a film directed by my guest today, which is out in cinemas today.
4: You can go see it.
2: You can just see it for yourself.
4: It's that easy.
2: Don't even listen to what we're talking about here. Because, you don't even have yeah. to do
4: anything illegal and suck it off the internet <laughs> that <laughs> might you know, constitute you getting arrested one day.
2: Please
1: don't.
4: You can just <laughs> turn up to the joint, ask for a ticket, grab a choc top. They come in many flavors now. There's like honeycomb and all sorts of weird stuff going on. They don't have berry choc tops anymore, which really offended me. They've stopped making them. Um, but there's all sorts of <laughs> different weird ones um, and you can grab one of them and then go and see my film.
2: You heard it here first. You can grab a chalk top before. You can also get
4: six Peronis and be on theme.
2: <gasps> Gee whiz. You know what I mean? <laughs> all right, so we were talking about Reuben Guthrie and yeah. there you go with a the theme of you know alcohol and stuff yeah. like that. But I, I kind of feel like, can we just talk a little bit about how it feels, which is your novel? Absolutely. Um, yeah, it kind of seems to be that Reuben Guthrie is a bit of a continuation of how it feels for a character in a way. Is that, is that too far-fetched?
4: Uh, I don't know if Neil Cronk would have ended up in advertising. <laughs> uh, I think he's too hardcore and too pure and too dark. Um, uh, I think he'd have to sell his soul a bit to become Reuben Guthrie, whereas um, Neil's, you know, I think the problem is he doesn't fit into society because he takes it all too seriously, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, but in terms of kind of uh, male anger and uh, self-destruction, mm. Um, I, I think yeah, it's definitely in the same ball game. I, I tend to write a lot about Australian masculinity and the way men communicate and the trouble they get themselves into, yeah, and the
2: way they don't communicate,
4: and the way which they is don't communicate. Definitely a and,
2: theme across both of those texts. Yeah, you can go and, how it feels.
4: and how drugs and alcohol can help you communicate. Maybe that's why we hit them so hard and and find a way to um, cope. Um, as being men um, is through using all those things but um, I'm very proud of how it feels and I I really love it when I meet someone who's read the book because you know anyone who's read your book means that they've spent like 13 hours you know, working at something that you created. And I always just kind of want to buy them a drink or say thank you because <laughs> of the, you know, they spent half a day or a day in, in my world. and um, I so think you'd be a buying a
2: lot of drinks here. There's a lot of people who've read the book. Oh, really? Yeah, for oh, sure. Oh, wow.
4: I'll see you at the Christmas party.
2: So I don't think there's actually a lot of writers that seem to kind of dwell in that sphere of writing about, you know, Australian masculinity and culture and the way men communicate and stuff like that and, and you know, the way we use drugs in order to communicate but you you do that a lot. I guess we don't drugs. usually hear no, oh, right. not drugs. Write about
4: right. those things. Yes, yes,
2: But I guess it's because it's so normalised we don't actually hear many other writers writing about it in Australia. But it's fascinating to you. Yeah,
4: I kind of gave up about four or five years of writing about other things other than the truth, <laughs> and um and since then you know and it was actually when my first when I wrote Ruben Guthrie I was so scared because people um who who the the characters were inspired by were coming to see the show. And I was so scared, I nearly had a breakdown. But then they, they loved it and the audiences loved it. And I thought, God, the truth really works, doesn't it? And then since then, I haven't written anything that hasn't terrified me as to you know, people seeing it. And I think if you write your own realizations, if you write the absolute truth, it actually resonates and, it, and it's actually very entertaining.
2: And conversely, if you're really comfortable with something you've written, then it's probably pretty sucky.
4: Yeah, that's right. I think you've got to be terrified about what you've written. You've got to be saying what everyone's thinking, but no one has the balls to talk about. And if you're not doing that, then, you know, you should do something else. Actually, you should go into advertising and work with Ruben Guthrie and make toothpaste hats, you know what I mean? But, um, and talk about, you know, the other side of things, uh, which is telling people what to do, you know.
2: So back to, back to the idea of kind of like Aussie guys connecting with each other. How else right. do they do it besides alcohol?
4: Well, I reckon the reason why I still write about it, I think, is because I would move on if I worked it out. And I think that my thinking on men is always changing because I think a lot about it, and I'm growing, arguably, um growing up and and changing as a man. So the reason I keep going back to the theme is because I think my philosophy on the whole thing is altering the whole time and. And now, you know, and I work a lot with Suicide Prevention Australia. Um, Ruben um, was very, uh, how it feels was very much about um, why are are a whole bunch of my friends dead uh, when they shouldn't be. Um, And I wanted to answer that for myself. Why all these beautiful boys don't make it out of their youth. Um, and then Reuben Guthrie's kind of about a dude that has everything, but he's um, also toying with death and depression, and, and, um, and that's why he hits the piss so hard, because um, he's not happy, even though he's got everything. And they were questions that I tried to answer in my work. Um, I feel like every time I do write something, it's to answer something for me, um, and I share the experience with the audience.
2: Do you feel like, you know, for you, it was easy enough to connect with other guys in high school, or was that actually really hard?
4: It was really hard. It was really hard, yeah. Um, growing up in Cronulla, for me, I mean, I started doing TV commercials when I was eight years old, and and so I got mocked a lot at school, and I, and I got bullied a fair bit. Any
2: any and, funny ads that they would actually you know repeat to you?
4: Yeah, well, I did like one well, had a jingle like my juice is fruity, and then I did Pavlova <laughs> magic, and um and uh, and all I had to do, like, all I used was his egg, and you know, and people, and I had, my name is Brendan Cowell and so when I got to school, everyone would just moo. Like the whole school go mm, as I came to school, and then they recite ads, and I sit alone at lunch uh, on my own, and um, and a lot of, I had to have a lot of fights with guys I didn't even want to fight. But you got to turn up, and and then I got a good a good couple of mates in like year nine and ten, which is you know what I talk about in Ruben. A couple of mates probably saved my life really, yeah. um, and uh, but I didn't change being me. I was like, I don't care. You're not going to turn me into, I'm going to keep writing poems and saying them at assembly. I'm going to keep setting myself up for this disaster. And then but, by, but
2: I guess you had protection after a point when you had friends, though.
4: Yeah, and that's when, you know, I met, I met my, my mate and he was actually one of the tough guys from school. And I met him because I was, I was tutoring him in the afternoons. Um, and, and then he didn't want anyone to know that he was special needs. You know, and I was kind of helping him out, you know, learning how to read in year nine, you know. So suddenly I had a protector and then we became best friends. By year 11 and 12, I was one of the most popular people in high school and everyone thought I was a bit wild and cool. So it went from being, you know, having your head dunked in the urinal to being a legend. So it was a pretty um, kind of transparent turnaround um, for me.
2: High school's really weird.
4: It's really weird. And being a guy and being, you know, because that's my own experience, and uh, being a teenager is really stressful. And, uh, and that stress can cause you to do really stupid things. And uh, alcohol and drugs are a part of that. And, mm. and skylarking, you know. And so many things happened in the last year kids jumping off cranes and rolling off balconies at schoolies week, and all these yeah. crazy, stupid shit things that are happening that are killing kids. And well, um,
2: being part of suicide prevention, you'd probably know much more.
4: Without someone stupid dies, things. someone and, kills himself, yeah. you know, five times a day, you know, it's, it's not good. It's not getting better. And uh, it's a leading cause of death in Australia. And we don't talk about it. Why don't we talk about it? We don't want to know. And we move on quickly. It's like this ugly elephant in the room that we don't want to discuss in Australia that's linked to our poor relationship with mental health, you know, and, and uh, if anything, I'm kind of out there going, Hey, you're all beautiful. Uh, life is stressful. Um, don't give in and communicate with each other a bit about it. And that's what I'm, you know, I guess a message that I'm trying to, in my odd way, um, present.
2: You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI 94.5 and I'm with Brendan Cowell. And we've got a song to take by Sade. <laughs>
4: yeah, speaking of masculinity, here's some Sade. <laughs> <shardé. laughs> yeah,
2: absolutely. Was, was this your jam when you were in high school?
4: Yeah, my best mate Johnny Duncan and I, um, you know, used to kind of hang out and, and watch, um, watch yeah, Sade concerts on, on, on VHS <laughs> and just think she was the hottest woman in the world. And it's so funky, you know. And I played bass when I was young and I just think she's a genius and yeah, she, and she plays a funky tune, man. For,
2: for the early 90s, that's sexy music.
4: It's sexy music. And it's actually where Sarah Blasco does the soundtrack for Ruben Guthrie and I came together as friends was over listening to Sade. <laughs> does
2: that make it into Ruben Guthrie at all, the Sade vibes?
4: In the subtext, you nice. know, if you really peer in there, you'll feel the Chardonninessness.
2: <laughs> so, so this is kind of you know from your high school years. Was there a particular thing that you know Chardonnay means to you?
4: Oh, she was just the sexiest goddess in the world, you know, that I was in love with, and with the funkiest music, and you know, the point
2: that you go, maybe I'm straight.
4: Yeah, that that's right. You know, no, she would she would make anyone anyone straight. This woman, um, yeah, no, I was just mesmerised by. Her. I couldn't believe she existed, and the music was just so funky.
2: On FBI 94.5, <laughs> Brendan Cal struggling with his headphones, but he's got one Shit, on. There's the one other on. Ones are That's bit all you need.
4: <laughs> it looks like it's a choice now. Yep. This is great radio. You guys are imagining <laughs> where wow, my headphones are looking. G'day, Sydney.
2: Alright, so that was Heart Shaped Box by Nirvana, brought in by Brendan Kalm my guest today. And uh why did you want to bring that song on the radio?
4: I guess when you you know, we were communicating about what we were gonna talk about today and I was thinking about, you know, being young and angry and thrashing myself and all those sorts of things and I just remember listening to that song and just thinking it was the most kind of violent, sexy, dangerous, weird invocation of being an angry, self-destructive male. I just want to kind of grab the chair and throw it out the window and, you know, run into a wall and um, take a heaps of drugs and, and be a lunatic. Awesome. And, um <laughs> You know, I was in year 11, year 10, 11, when, you know, your Sound Gardens and your Pearl Jams and, um, and and Nirvanas and Smashing Pumpkins were right at their peak in 1993 and Seattle music and all this stuff was happening. And so I was at my 16, 17-year-old teenage self when when these guys were coming you know to fruition so it was a pretty amazing time to be a teenager
2: did you go to many underage gigs when you were that age? hang
4: on that was when you were born wasn't it (laughs) when were you born 91 91. Yeah. yeah right so i was in i was doing my hsc when you were two um yeah no i absolutely did i mean and i i was really into acid jazz as well I love oh, jazz. Marriage so, made in heaven. I know. So I, I my mate and I, um, Johnny Duncan, is the executive producer of the the film. We used to, you know, go in and sneak into the basement, and we'd and we'd sneak into um, the Harbourside Brasserie and listen to dig and you know all these kind of acid <laughs> jazz bands, and just sit up the back and and try not to get seen. You know, that's great. Um, but uh, yeah, absolutely, and you know, and the big day outs uh, around that time were genuinely insane the mosh pits and you know there was Mm. no regulations and and it was pretty wild
2: yeah dangerous like actually quite scary (laughs) yeah you would
4: move 40 meters through the air yeah you'd just
2: be carried if you went
4: in there and you know Mm. i went to that heavy metal festival um, a few months ago whatever that was called out in concord what a what a um charismatic part of town that is and uh and it's now so regulated there's heaps of fences everything's locked off and you know you can't get near the band and yeah as soon as people start to move in a group it's all shut down and it's like if you've been around in 93 you would have seen what it was really like you know where are you
2: gonna put your rage that's exactly where you need to put I it know. that's where i put my rage when i was growing up i went to like lots of hardcore gigs and yeah. just punched it out
4: when you were young yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I. You know. I just do it in my kitchen now with six friends. You know. <laughs> it's, it's safer.
2: <laughs> so, so were there many gigs in the in the Shire when you were growing up? You know, the Shire and yeah, Miranda yeah. Fair and Tilts and Skate. Oh, Plus. absolutely.
4: I mean, you know, Ratcat used to play, and you know, all these tumbleweed had come to town, and like it awesome. was, it was awesome. Yeah, and uh, everyone's r- really into their music in in the Shire. You know, and and. All those, your chisels and Nirvana and all that stuff were kind of the the, the soundtrack to growing up around there, you know. Um, but Johnny and I were secretly into Boys to Men and um, A and Belle Biv DeVoe as well. We were kind of into the R and B scene as well but you, you didn't want to play that out yeah. out loud too much you get a punch in the face it's
2: kind of a macho thing though because it's like you have to be a closet like sexy music fan you can't yeah. really show people it's like hey listen to so this you wear sexy your jam.
4: you wear your smashing pumpkins t-shirt to school and then you go home and, and whack the Chardonnay on <laughs> but <like>
2: smooth operator <laughs> that's yeah, right absolutely so um I guess you know we we're talking about how it feels a moment ago and that's based in the Shire and it seems like you got you know quite a bit of a fascination with the Shire I mean I didn't I grew up there I didn't find it particularly Where were interesting you from? Uh, I, Cronulla, Carling, Bar, Miranda, oh, wow. Mir moved around a lot. Um, so yeah, the Shire generally, I didn't find it very interesting, and I just left as soon as I could rent. But you still yeah. find it quite fascinating. <laughs> what what fascinates I still you can't about
4: rent? I guess. But uh, <laughs> I, what fascinates
2: uh, you about the Shire, though?
4: Oh, a, a lot. I mean. Growing up there, it's it's a place (laughs) unlike any other. It takes you know, there's many shires in the country, and the Southern Shire is the one that calls itself the Shire, Mm. you know, and it's a very parochial, intense place. And yeah,
2: God's country,
4: God's country. And I feel like when you when you go over Tom Uglys Bridge or Captain Cook Bridge, you do kind of get sucked into a vortex of a place with a set of beliefs and uh, and a way of living that hasn't changed for a long time. And it really is this bubble of Mm. kind of Christian white. 1950s kind of living, and there's something really beautiful about it, but there's something a little worrying about it, and you do have to get out to to see the rest of the world, and it's also a beautiful place to come back to, which is, I guess, well, how it feels is about. But um, I don't know. I it, it's it, it's heaven down there. I mean, it's the beaches are beautiful, um, the lawns are beautiful, uh, the lifestyle's beautiful, but there's some really heavy shit that goes down there as well. Yeah. And that's what kind of amazed me was, you know, all the youth suicide and the darkness and the things that lived in that, in that shire whilst you're surrounded by beauty. And I guess that juxtapositions always kind of puzzled me.
2: And it's kind of, you know, it's a fairly well-off area as well. So it kind Absolutely. of doesn't make sense that everyone seems to be wanting so much. But I, you write about teenagers and – well, you wrote about teenagers – And I guess it's kind of hard to write a book where you're not talking down to teenagers. How do you avoid that when you're past that teen stage and you're writing a book? How do you not talk down to them?
4: I guess, you know, I mean, I wrote about being a teenager in the 90s. You know, the book was set in the 90s, so I kind of wrote my Uh, bullet my kind of personal experience being a teenager and I've done a few talks at writers festivals and stuff and you see guys in their 50s and 60s who wrote written books on the teenage condition and I sit there and I end up getting in fights with them because what the hell do you know (laughs) about about what's going through teenagers minds this day You, you know you can reel off your stats but you got no bloody idea and I've got three nephews who are teenagers and I'm really close with them but you can see when they stare off into the distance sometimes you go No one's got any idea what that kid's thinking. You know, you don't have any idea what a 13-year-old or a 16-year-old's feeling or thinking because that feeling of being a teenager is so full on, so unique. Um, And I always, I mean, I remember writing my first article when I was 17 saying the stupidity of the world and it made it into the Sydney Morning Herald. It got published in the Sydney Morning Herald because I showed them an English teacher and then they sent it in and it got published and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And (laughs) and, uh, it was about why we are asked to work out the rest of our lives when our kind of balls are on fire we can't (laughs) control our testosterone our hormones like sex is through the roof i could barely look at elizabeth coombs in two unit maths because she had the black bra underneath the white sheer top and like i couldn't concentrate on pythagoras you know i was going bloody (laughs) mad and then there's drugs and girls and Art and alcohol and music, and then they're going, so are you going to be a scientist or are you going to be a real estate agent and and how here, do you go
2: in maths?
4: Here's the greatest <laughs> exam of your life that will determine if you get into university that will determine the rest of your life. And you're like, I'm just trying to not look at Elizabeth Coombs right now, you know and and I thought, why don't we do the HSC at forty five you that would know a like
0: great idea. why
4: are we doing it when our Everything's on our skin is on fire. And I just thought it's the gra- it's the greatest kind of hypocrisy that we're judged at our most ridiculous, reckless and um and kind of visceral time, you know, and I, I found and that, that's what I mean. It's stressful. It's stressful being a teenager.
2: Yeah, and if you knew someone when they're a teenager, and later on, you meet them again. They're a completely different person, seemingly. You still see through to that kind like of essential... I teenagers. Sensual, it's people yeah.
4: in their 20s that I think are problematic, but I, you know... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love teenagers, you know. It's, uh, if you see, it's just about survival as a teenager. It's so intense, you know.
2: Let's just move a little bit past teenagehood to uh, <laughs> being 21, because you, you have a song to play, and it's a cover, but it's oh, <laughs> just a huge departure from the original... So tell us about Frank Bennett and Creep.
4: Oh, Frank Bennett's an Australian kind of jazz singer. who um, who, who, Sydney
2: bloke, yeah.
4: Sydney bloke. And uh, he used to do, he played around a lot in the 90s when I was in my 20s. And and, uh, he used to do kind of hilarious kind of jazzy um, uh, recreations of kind of classic grungy songs. And he was kind of an ironic fad um, for quite a while. And uh, when I had my 21st um, in Wynyard, And I was in Bathurst at university and all my schoolmates came. My my very kind of conservative kind of family group came. And then all my new um, gay and lesbian um, and wildly creative and interesting looking friends from my arts university in Bathurst came. So it was a pretty interesting room and my nan just gasping at two chicks making out in the corner (laughs) and two guys, you know, kind of grinding on each other with purple hair wearing midriffs and uh, and all my Cronulla mates... (laughs) You know, who go on the police force or whatever just standing there going, What the hell's happened to Brando?" Look you know, and and uh, and instead of making a speech, you know, I still like to do the yard glass so you've got to drink like a litre of beer in one go or you know <laughs> Your you're a
2: poor nana. You're a poor she's watching this something. unfold.
4: <laughs> yeah, so this is all happening and uh, and I thought I'm not gonna make a speech, I'm gonna do a lip sync. Because um, I had a lip sync band at university. This is, you know, way before Jimmy Fallon. And, uh, you know, and so I did a lip sync um, of my favorite song at the, at the time, uh, which was Radiohead's Creep, but it was um, Frank Bennett's take on the uh, classic uh, indie rock song.
2: You're listening to out of the box on FBI Radio. Brendan Cowell's my guest today. My name's Ash Bertabez, and here is Frank Bennett with Creep.
5: Whenever your phone could look you in the eye You're just like an angel Your skin makes me cry You float like a feather in a beautiful world So very special I wish I was special
2: a cover from Frank Bennett of Creep <laughs> the producers were dancing yeah, it just, <laughs> loved it, it. it's
4: so funny isn't it, it I is mean ridiculous. it's just brilliant
2: and it's kind of great because he's got that really obnoxious kind of smug drawl that you yeah. have with a lot of this style of music
4: which when he's so saying very
2: special when
4: he's saying I'm a creep it's like yeah that's true but uh, he used to <laughs> yeah I remember seeing him live at like the Star City Casino you know in kind oh, of, of the Vegas lounge and it was like so <laughs> fantastic he just made that venue happen, you know, but um, he covers, you know, look him up because he covers a lot of kind of classic songs from that era in a really hilarious way, but they work.
2: So that was something that you, uh, you lip synced at your 21st. That was
4: my 21st speech and I <laughs> lip synced that song, but you know what? Cause we're in the era of CDs, you know, uh, just yeah. to let you know at my 21st, we were pre MP3 and pre mobile phone <laughs> at that point. We could not text or tweet or Snapchat each other. Like I went through my whole university degree without a phone you know, which is just wild. And if you wanted to invite, you know, us over to a cafe or, you know, someone had made a pasta or whatever, cause, you know, no money or in Bathurst, you had to kind of ride your bike over and knock, <laughs> and knock on the door because we couldn't even afford home phones because we were students, we had no money. So it was kind of everyone just rode around town inviting each other over or putting notes under doors and stuff. It was, And it was bloody awesome. So this would have been around
2: time. around your time at Charles Sturt Charles Uni, Charles Sturt University,
4: right? Bathurst, yeah, yeah, Here yeah, here it's a bit of a
2: party one, that uni.
4: Oh, it's definitely a party one. Yeah, I um I experimented with a lot of weird things and a lot of weird forests. Um, it was fantastic. Uh, I wouldn't take it back for the world. And um, you know, and and uh, a large proportion of my best friendships are, are are from that experience. It was amazing.
2: I guess it was kind of good luck then that you didn't end up getting into NIDA because you tried out, didn't you?
4: Mm. I Tried out three times, you know, when I was seventeen, eighteen, and I, even in first year university, I tried out again and. And I, um, you know, I got to the final round a couple of times and, um, and yeah, I, I tried it for VCA, I tried it for Whopper, um, and I, I didn't get into any of them. And then, um, now I do acting masterclasses at all those places. <laughs> so they pay me lots of money and I wander past the lecturers who didn't let me in and I go, Hey, how are you going? Isn't this funny? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: now I'm doing my, your job for you after you yep. told me I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do it, but. Oh, I'm really grateful. I mean, I, that's the thing about life, hey? Like, it, it doesn't work out how you wrote it, and and then you end up somewhere, and you go, oh, I guess that was maybe maybe better." Of course, you know.
2: And I guess it's kind of funny that you end up playing Hamlet, because it's one of those much coveted roles that people just you know <laughs> yeah. put on a pedestal all their lives, and then you didn't even have an acting education, and you ended up getting given the role of Hamlet. That must have miffed a few people.
4: It really did, <laughs> um, especially the actors who had had acting lessons. Yeah. And were um, classically trained, um, but the interesting thing about Marion Potts, the director of the, the production of Hamlet that I did Belle Bell Shakespeare, was um, that she said, "No, I just want to what I want to see what you do with it. We've seen what they do with it. I want to see what you do. I want to see what an actor with no training, who's a bit of a poet, who's a bit of a scallywag. I want to see what he does when so he gets this, you know, these words."
2: How did it? How did you make a better or a different Hamlet? Then, what was something that you brought to it that was?
4: Unique. Oh, the thing about playing Hamlet is that the, the best lesson you can learn is to not play Hamlet, is just to let it come through you. Um, because the philosophy's so dense, um, you know, all, all good actors can play Hamlet, they'll all be equally as good as each other, they'll just be them. And um, I think I just kind of, you know, like everything I do with acting, I try to make it look like it's happening. And I try to make sense of it. And I try to make the audience understand what I'm saying. And a lot of Shakespeare is, you know, you often feel like you want to read the page again. You can go through a three-hour Shakespeare and not know what the hell anyone was talking about. And I was really proud because a lot of young people came and saw my Hamlet. And, for the first, and they said, for the first time, I understood what he was going through. He's like a grieving kid. And he loved her. But he didn't trust her. And so I just, kind of, I just kind of said it how I'm talking to you now. You know, I just kind of said it um and and didn't dress it up and didn't go to the language or the rhythms or anything i just kind of said it as an as an angry young australian male and um and a lot of people um hated me for that and then a lot of people said i i finally felt it so but um that's what it is to be an artist you know (laughs) the people hate what you do for the same reason the people love what you do and you just got to um you know wear a stack hat and keep moving
2: all right, well, we've got one uh, song to take now called Screenwriter's Blues. Yeah. And why this song?
4: Well, talking about university, I was obsessed with soul coughing. And, um, you know, if you don't know this bloke, Mike Doherty, um, go go and check him out because he mixes like kind of country, funky Texan guitar with kind of half rap. Um, the lyrics are really observant. They're really funny. Um, they're really strange. And this was a song about, you know, being a screenwriter in Hollywood and having sex with models and listening to the radio and it just kind of made me made me want to be a writer
2: On FBI 94.5 my guest is Brendan Cowell
3: Exits to freeways twisted like knots on the fingers Jewels cleaving skin between breasts Cadillac breathes 400 horses over blue lines. You are going to Reseda to make love to a model from Ohio whose real name you don't know. You spin like the Cadillac was overturning down a cliff on television. radio is on and the radio man is speaking and the radio man says women were a curse so men built Paramount Studios and men built Columbia Studios and men built Los Angeles it is 5 a.m. and you are listening to Los Angeles Out there and the radio man says rock and roll lives and the radio man says it is a beautiful night out there in Los Angeles you live in Los Angeles and you are going to Reseda we are all in some way or another going to Reseda someday to die and the radio man laughs because the radio man fucks a model too. gone savage For teenagers with automatic weapons and boundless love. Gone savage for teenagers who are aesthetically pleasing. In other words, fly. Los Angeles beckons the teenagers to come to her on buses. Los Angeles loves love. It is 5 a.m. And you are listening to Los Angeles. a.m. and you are listening to Los Angeles I'm going to Los Angeles to build a screenplay about lovers who murder each other Going to Los Angeles to see my own name on a screen, five feet long and luminous. As the radio man says, it is 5 a.m., and the sun has charred the other side of the world and come back to us, and painted the smoke over our heads an imperial violet. It is 5 a.m., and you are listening to Los Angeles. 5 a.m. And you are listening to Los Angeles. You are listening. You are
4: It's
2: almost a bit beat poetry this.
4: Yeah, it totally is. And that was like right in the middle of my beat poetry phase where I was writing a lot of poetry and reciting it at university bars and um Kind of how I started writing was through writing kind of poetry like that. And I, I, he's, he's kind of daggy, but he's kind of awesome. Like the lyrics is fantastic.
2: I think that's part of the awesomeness is kind of being like, I'm daggy, but that's, you know, that's yeah, great. That was
4: the 90s. Exactly.
2: <laughs> awesome. So that was Screenwriters Blues by Sol Coughing. Got a screenwriter in the studio today. Have had for the past hour, Brendan Cowell. G'day. Also, a director, and actor, director of Ruben Guthrie. Ruben Guthrie,
4: the movie, which is in cinemas today.
2: There you go. So, if you've wanted to see Ruben Guthrie and you missed out during Sydney, Sydney Festival, Sydney yes, film we Festival. The Sydney Film Festival. Yeah, that was the was, opening of um, film.
4: An incredible mm. uh, honour. Yeah. Uh, but now we're in cinemas across the nation, so everyone can go.
2: Very exciting time to be alive, mm. isn't
4: it? it? It truly is.
2: <laughs> so, we've got time for one last song, and we'll take that pretty soon. So. Sharon Van Etten. Yes. All of the feelings at once.
4: All the feelings at once. Um, Yeah, she's really just, you know, the kind of singer of our time, I reckon. She's got the most extraordinary voice. Uh, She's so true to her own um, music, her own art. I met her a couple of times with some friends in New York. She's a lovely girl. And, um, yeah, she just breaks my heart. And and this song, um, you know, is something I can really relate to because... It's about moving to the city for someone, you know, and and I did that in in New York and and just that notion of turning up to a city you've never been in, you're going to live here and you feel kind of oddly alone but excited and and you don't know how it's going to go and and the city kind of, you know, is the relationship that you're having is with the city. And, uh, you know, and that kind of terrifying and exciting feeling, I feel like she really um, isolates so beautifully in this song. So
2: this is basically your song for moving to New York yeah or just,
4: well it's a, it's a song for everyone to kind of you know when you make a bold move and uh and you go with your heart you know it could be anything really um yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I love the way she kind of, um, you know, uh, illuminates that kind of insanely exciting feeling, but kind of vaguely terrifying, could go either way kind of thing.
2: Yeah. And there's know. that beautiful lyric where it's, you know, you're the reason I'll move to the city and while well, I'll need to leave. Yeah,
4: that's <laughs> right. She's always a little sad in the end, Sharon, <laughs> isn't she? Um, hopefully she'll cheer up soon. But then, you know, when you listen to her albums, hopefully she won't.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's been such a pleasure having you in here today Brendan Carl thoroughly enjoyed uh, it
4: me too we, we could we could have done more hours it's so much fun and many, indulgent many. but thank you very much for having me in and, and for supporting my film
2: alright definitely check out Ruben Guthrie and here you go it's Sharon Van Etten give out on FBI 94.5 you've been listening to Out of the Box with Brennan Carl and me Ash Pertibes